Welcome to the Kingdom Community. Many in the body of Christ long for authentic community and a spiritual family to belong to. We exist to connect, equip, and send you into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God on the earth. To learn more about us, please visit kingdomcommunity.global. We look forward to hearing from you. Stacy, tonight, um, one of the things, of course, that is challenging the body of Christ right now is we've come through a season where seemingly there were prophetic words that were released that um, really didn't seem to be of the Lord or didn't come to pass. Um, you know, we're in a time when I think we got to be very careful that we're really sincerely genuinely hearing from the Lord and, and releasing only his mind, his counsel. Um, you know, it says in Jeremiah, the prophets prophesied out of their imagination. It wasn't really the Lord. But there's also another uh, reason why seemingly prophetic words are not being fulfilled in our lives. And it's not that it's um, not it's it's not God's fault. Right. I mean, so there's often a process and there's there's a contending and there's kind of a going to war that uh, we need to do in order to fight the good fight of faith to see those promises come to pass and i know you want to speak into that but please just share what's on your heart and uh, we we're just looking forward to to hearing from you will do thank you pastor glenn um i might just pray first so father we just thank you for your presence that's with every person in their location. We've seen all the cities that have appeared in the chat where your children are tonight, today. But Father, I thank you that what unites us is our love for you. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be tangible and very close to every person on the Zoom right now, anybody who might watch it later. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your voice would be the loudest voice. I honour your leadership in my life even as I bring and open the word right now. I thank you for Pastors Glenn and Lynn. Father, I'm asking blessing to be poured out upon their life for their influence to grow. I thank you that they have been trustworthy and so you love to pour out more upon their life. So we say more for them and for their ministry. And so we just give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, Proverbs 29, 18, let's start there. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. I'm reading from the ESV there. Prophetic vision in the original language is the word hazon, which is communication from God to be communicated with others, with a focus on the visual receiving of the communication. So it was instruction in God's truth, which was revealed to prophets through visions. One biblical commentator talks about this verse this way. This verse emphasizes the importance of divine, which is God-given revelation, for a nation's well-being. Without it, the people make serious mistakes. Another commentator said this, without God's spoken word revealed through revelation that a prophet receives, people abandon themselves to their own sinful ways. And this word here where it talks about the people cast off restraint actually means in the original language to be out of control. Or I find this definition really interesting. It means to jump in front of the leader and take the lead. 
to move to the front of the group as a leader rather than our calling as followers of Christ, which is to follow step by step the Holy Spirit and to follow the leadership of our Father, follow Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the ways that I'm currently seeing, I guess, a bit of a war over this, I want to speak prophetically into the current climate I'm seeing across the globe right now. This was something that the Lord actually showed me in a vision that before I get into the content of it, I just want to put before you as people who are clearly graced or interested in the prophetic, that you can carry this in prayer with me. Earlier in the year, um, my pastor, Pastor Corey, I was worship leading, so I was standing behind him. He was praying and this vision like a movie opened up in front of me. And in this vision, I was actually on the inside of the eyeballs of Gen Z and Alpha Gen. And I was looking at what was coming into their sight in a day. It was like the Lord gave me the ability to feel how overwhelming it was, the amount of information they are receiving on a daily basis. And I'm just going to read you what I wrote down that the Lord was showing me through that vision Because when we talk about prophetic vision and its ability to keep a nation on track, a people group on track, here's where I believe the enemy is trying to get in one of the ways right now in our world. The phrase the Lord gave me was, we have a generation who is busy trying to be seen while he is busy looking for seer prophets. So in this vision where I was allowed to see what our younger generation sees on a daily basis, I actually felt such compassion for them. And as I interacted with this vision, the Lord said this phrase, Satan is the inspiraro behind this mountain of visionary distraction. The grim reaper is attempting to steal, kill and destroy a generation of seer prophets. Now, I didn't even know what the word inspiraro meant. I mean, don't you love the way the Holy Spirit works? So when I went to look into what the Lord was showing to me, inspiraro means to breathe upon something. So Satan is breathing, I believe in this time, upon this mountain of visionary distraction. Why? Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision or no revelation, people cast off restraint. What was the Lord saying? If the enemy can steal this generation's revelation, they will cast off restraint. And we're already seeing that happen. They're departing from the truth. And I felt so burdened by this as I processed. I had questions like, what would our world look like without the modern Apostle Johns who know how to come up here and see what God is doing? What would our future look like if nobody is willing to pay the price to perceive the new thing that God is doing? like Isaiah. Who will answer Jesus' call to see what's really going on in the spiritual realm and what the Spirit is saying to the church? Well, without seer prophets rising up as part of the new wineskin, we will lack heaven's vision and perspective on the issues of life. So I've been praying that the pneuma, the breath, the wind, the Holy Spirit of God would blow distraction from our emerging seer's eyes And that they would not give into this culture's obsession with being seen, but they would make room to be the seers God has called them to be. So I just share that today. I felt led to share that, that you guys might just join me in the next little while in praying for Gen Z and Alpha Gen. 
Because if the enemy can steal their prophetic vision, our future will be one without restraint. That will be what we're handing to the generations. So let's cheer on our young guns and let's teach them how to fix their eyes on Jesus and how to receive the messages, which is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So if you like titles, here's my title, Warring with Words. So I'm going to ask you to open the scriptures with me to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at eight verses together. 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 20. Again, I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, It says, this is Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's our key verse. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, amongst whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Warring with words. I want you to listen to this quote about Winston Churchill. It was said that he mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. You see, our words can be used to build up or to tear down. And I want to encourage you today and equip you, put handles on how you can war with the prophetic words that you receive to mobilize your prophetic words and to send them into battle, just like Paul encouraged his spiritual sons to do. You see, I've noticed that when it comes to the prophetic words that you and I receive, some of us trust in the sovereignty of God in a way that's not actually biblical. Let me repeat that. That's a pretty big statement. When it comes to the prophetic words that we receive, Some of us trust in the sovereignty of God in a way that is not biblical. Warring with our prophetic words is a weapon in our spiritual armory that is designed to annihilate the enemy's camp. Amen. Ephesians 6.12, we all know it well. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5, describes how God has equipped us for this spiritual battle with spiritual weapons, not of the flesh, but weapons that have divine, again, God-given power. That's dunamis, blow things up power, explosive power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. How do we do this? 
One of the ways is with our prophetic words. You see, the spiritual warfare that we are in requires our cooperation and our participation. It requires that we actually pick up the spiritual weapons that God has provided to us and for us. I don't know if you've noticed, you can give me a wave on the screen or put a little high five in your icons down there, but there don't seem to be any spectators in the kingdom of God. That's certainly not God's intent. Instead, what we see throughout the pages of the Bible is partnership and co-laboring. And this is because God will not do our part and we cannot do his. But if we don't do our part, God is actually forced to withhold a measure of the blessing that he wants to pour out on our lives. This can look like sitting our prophetic words on a shelf or in a journal that we write in and put it away and say, I'm just trusting in God's sovereignty. I'm just trusting that God's going to make that happen. But let me tell you today, to, to do this is actually to fail, to pick up one of the weapons that God has given us to aid us in destroying the opposition and walking in the kind of abundant life that Jesus has purchased for you and I. And so I've noticed that in church culture, and even today, Pastor Glenn alluded to this before, there can be frustration, disappointment, and disillusionment with the prophetic. Because I hear people all the time like, oh, Pastor Corey or, you know, Pastor Stacey or Pastor Glenn prophesied this over me last week. Why hasn't it happened? And they get very disillusioned with the prophetic. And eventually what can happen is they begin to exclude the prophetic from communities and from their life. But let me tell you, the prophetic is not the problem. (laughs) We are the problem when we're trusting and waiting for God to do a role that he has clearly assigned to us. When we trust God to do our role, it's not faith, it's presumption. It's faith to pick up the spiritual weapons he's given us and to wield them in the spiritual realm. Now, in the context of the letter that we're reading today, Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, who he'd left to run the church in Ephesus. And Timothy was facing some significant issues within the church with false teachings, this strict adherence to law, speculation, arrogance, greed. Not only that, Timothy, who was actually quite shy and timid, was facing personal opposition to his ministry. He was really feeling it. I can imagine he would have been asking the questions like, do I really have what it takes? Can I really lead this community? And so his spiritual father, Paul, says, what is the most valuable thing that I could tell my son to do in this situation? What does Paul tell him to do? He charges him to cooperate and participate in what had been prophesied over him and to do that by picking up the prophecies previously made about him. And he's giving you and I a key to spiritual warfare. Now, if we look into the context of the passage, what had been prophesied over Timothy? Well, in 1 Timothy 4.14, which was his commissioning moment, we read, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid hands on you. This is describing Timothy's commissioning moment. The elders laid hands on him and they imparted grace and gifts to him to equip him for the leadership assignment. 2 Timothy 1.6, we read, for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, 
but of power and love and self-control. Now, we're not actually given full context on the gifts that Timothy received, but we are told how Timothy should fan them into flame and operate without fear by warring with his prophetic words. So if we look again at verse 18 of our passage, where it says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Paul is using a wartime analogy here, and he often did this. Now, in the Greek, if you're Greek on here today, I apologize in advance, but here's my best Greek. Here's three words that are very important in this little phrase. It's strituo kalos strateia. I'm telling you this because it's important. This is really important that we grasp what the scriptures are saying. And our English language is a little bit insufficient. This first word, strutuo, describes going into war. It's describing a soldier who's in active service. The second word, kalos, means beautiful, magnificent, excellent in nature. And strateia describes a campaign, a military service that we have been enlisted in. So if we put this all together, it could read like this. Take your prophetic words, engage in a noble campaign with them, and approach it like a military operation, formulate a strategy. So now let me ask you a question. (laughs) How many of us approach our prophetic words this way? How many of us take our prophetic words like a military operation with a formulated strategy? (laughs) The likelihood in in a group this size is going to be more of us on here who receive prophetic words than give them. So it's very important we understand what do we do when we receive a prophetic word? Because I've actually noticed that one of the most defining factors of a prevailing Christian life is what people do with their prophetic words after they have received them. Not so much what is declared, but what the person does with what is declared. Because we must pick up the weapons we've been given and use them. So historically in the church, when it comes to the prophetic, there's been two schools of thought. The first is the cessationists and this school of theology or belief practice believes that the spiritual gift ceased for the apostle, uh, the original 12 apostles death so that there is no such thing as prophecy anymore. And I actually grew up in a church that believed that my history is that um, my church that my dad led actually split over a prophetic word. And yet here I am today as the prophet in a house passionate about prophecy. What was really interesting about that church split was the prophetic word was brought by an elder and it was a prophetic word that I I had told my parents about when I was eight or nine years old. So this was personal to me. And then our church split over it and overnight we didn't realize that a large um, number of the church were cessationists until this happened. Overnight, uh, people I'd grown up in front of stopped talking to my family. My dad was out of a job and my little sisters moved away with my parents. This made a really big, um, got a very big effect on my life. And so for a period of time, I was actually quite afraid of the prophetic. And so um, I had to do appropriate questioning and really work through my theology here. So that's what cessationists believe, that prophecy doesn't exist anymore. Then there's what I like to call the firmers. 
The firmers believe that prophecy is legitimate if it comes to pass. So prophecy would come to pass by sovereignty alone and a false prophecy would not come true at all. So in other words, if you sit back, you receive your prophetic word, you put it on a shelf. If it comes to pass, well, then it's true. If it doesn't come to pass, then it was a false prophecy. Well, that's not what I believe. And that's not what we're talking about today, because in my Bible, I see something else because Jesus didn't say to his disciples, hey, don't be sad that I'm leaving because I'm going to leave you a book. (laughs) No, he said, don't be sad that I'm leaving. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And if you study that phrase, he was actually saying me beside you is less to your benefit than the Holy Spirit in you. Jesus beside you, standing right beside you, in Jesus' own words, was less powerful, is less powerful than the Holy Spirit we have inside of us today. John 16, 13 and 14, talking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, he will declare things that are to come. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is the very definition of prophecy. It's for what exists in God's heart and mind and realm about a person or a situation to be revealed to a human spirit by the Holy Spirit and then declared here on earth. The direction of prophecy is heaven to earth. And, you know, Pastor Glenn mentioned before about there's been a little bit of disillusionment in the prophetic. I just want to speak for a moment about just one of my own personal observations of the prophetic across the globe and especially with social media and it being much easier to put prophetic words out there. I read prophetic words uh, and I weigh them according to scripture and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. I think that one of the pitfalls we need to be careful of at the moment is that we don't make human observations from our human spirit and call it prophecy. Because the direction of that is earth to earth. Prophecy by definition is heaven to earth. And we see kingdom coming to earth by perceiving through revelation what is God's desire in his realm and then declaring it here on earth. You know, think about this for a moment. Just pause for a moment and think about this. The same Holy Spirit in the Trinity, in all of his fullness, lives inside you, lives inside of me. Not a mini version not a 10% light version that the father thinks we could cope with, all of it, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. He lives inside of you right now. Why on earth would we have the Holy Spirit and yet not have the ability to perceive the things he was sent to declare to us? Why on earth would we have the Holy Spirit and yet not really have access to the depths of God's heart and the mind of Christ. We do, 1 Corinthians 2. We have the mind of Christ and access to the riches of his wisdom through the Holy Spirit. And so the father knows that we're in a spiritual warfare and he hasn't sent his kids into this battle ill-equipped. That would mean he wasn't a good father, but he is. And so one of the main weapons he's given us is the prophetic. Jesus himself picked up his words and warred with them. We all know this from Matthew 4.4. Jesus was fresh from his baptism. He just heard the father's voice in chapter three. This is my beloved son and I'm well pleased with you. Then he's in the wilderness face to face with the devil. 
And the devil says, if you are the son of God, he questions what the father's just declared over him. And what does Jesus reply? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, rhema word, spoken word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy, but he wasn't referring to scripture. He was fighting with the word. His father had just spoken over him when he came up out of the water. And Jesus replies to Satan, I don't have to prove anything to you. I know what my father in heaven just said. He's already pleased with me. You see, not warring with our words is actually a way or a form of quenching the Holy Spirit and treating prophecy with contempt. Full on words, hey, but it's, it's Bible. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. So we're called to value the prophetic words that are spoken over us. And thank God that we've heard from him and then do war with those words. You know, I had the privilege of um, leading a small group for Bethel School of the Prophets for uh, the last couple of years. And hearing Pastor Bill Johnson speak about the prophetic was so inspiring. He has a separate iPad and a bunch of note cards in his wallet that he carries around that are just filled with recordings of prophetic words he's received over himself personally, so that whenever he's lacking courage, he'll just get out that iPad and play the videos or play the audio of the prophecies spoken over him. The ones he's really holding on to for his family and his church are sitting in his wallet, so he can pull them out at any time. He pulled out one that was 25 years old. That's his value for the prophetic. You see how we value the prophetic will determine how our prophetic ministry is received, how you steward it. We're sowing and reaping here and we can't violate that, violate that. You see, the prophetic has purpose in our lives and it's not just to make us feel good. <laughs> I mean, it's good that it does that too, but it's not always just that because the prophetic can actually confront false mindsets and sinful thought patterns with new and better mindsets. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. And these words mean construction, building up, strengthening, making people more able to comfort or to console, to comfort people at their point of sorrow. And your prophetic words are not just meant to do this in the moment that you receive them, but over and over again, as you treasure those words and war with them, what was Pastor Bill Johnson doing? He was encouraging himself. He was consoling himself. He was building himself up when he felt torn down by picking up those prophecies previously made about him and watching them and listening to them and let, letting them incubate in his spirit. So now I want to get really practical. I want to show you a couple of things that I do with the prophetic words that I receive. The first thing I want us to understand is the process of prophecy. It has three steps. Revelation, interpretation, application. Revelation, interpretation, application. So this revelation process or part of the process of when God reveals to a human vessel and the human vessel speaks on God's behalf what is seen or heard or perceived from his realm. Interpretation, this is where we take what's been received and we interpret what it might mean. Often we want the prophet to do that work for us, but sometimes God doesn't reveal to them the interpretation. Why? Because often God's speaking in symbolic language that is personal to you. 
And it's often not the job of the person delivering the message to interpret it. Sometimes we have to do that hard work, particularly when it comes to prophetic messages and dreams. And often prophets can actually get into a little bit of trouble when they step past what God has revealed and try to interpret. And so an important element of interpreting the word is also to test and weigh the prophecy. And we like to say here, keep the meat, spit out the bones. And you can look at these scriptures yourself in your own time. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21, 1 Corinthians 14, 29. So some really practical questions when you're testing and weighing a word, when you're interpreting, is it consistent with God's character and word? Does it glorify God and draw me closer to Jesus? Does it fulfill the ABCs of prophecy? Is it affirming, biblical, and Christ-like? That's the ABCs, affirming, biblical, and Christ-like. And we just must remember, keep the meat, spit out the bones, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make a false prophet Someone's not a false prophet because they have a wrong detail. In the Old Testament, when a prophet got a detail wrong, they were stoned to death. In the New Testament, you can actually look in detail at the story of Agabus in Acts 21 or 22, around there, um, where he actually prophesies and he gets a couple of details wrong, but he's still called a prophet. So it's certainly not the goal of a maturing prophet to get details wrong, but it doesn't disqualify them to do so because the word says we see and prophesy in part. So you can keep the meat and spit out the bones. Let's talk about application. Many of us stop at the revelation or the interpretation because they're the feel goods. They give us all the feels. Few people apply, which is why few people see prophetic words come to pass and why we often don't feel like we're living abundant lives. So the application is warring with your words. So it's important to understand that the prophetic will address our potential, not necessarily our present condition. So just because you receive a prophetic word or you hear someone else receiving one and you're like, oh, I don't see that on them, don't discount it. Because prophecy will call the gold out of the dust of people's lives. It will speak to our potential, not our present condition. And when we war with our words or apply them, a major shift begins to take place on the inside of us. We begin to believe what the Lord has declared over us and to grow up and into it. So I'm going to give you an example of a prophetic word that was spoken over me, and then I'm going to show you two steps that I do to war with my prophetic word. So here is the word. Um, this was delivered to me by um, a national leader in our movement here in Australia. The word was this. You were born with a sword in your hand. You are a fierce warrior. Your spirit has an impact on those around you. You assault the kingdom of darkness. You are like Lagertha. I didn't even know who Lagertha was. And this was all I was given in the prophecy. So I clearly had some work to do. So I had to go away and interpret this prophetic word. So the first thing I did was find out who Lagertha was. She was actually this Viking chick who was awesome. So I received that. <laughs> but the first thing I do is I type out the word, I double space it, and then I underline anything that speaks about my identity. So the Bible will give us our collective identity as children of God. Prophecy will speak to your individual identity. It's beautiful. So I underlined things that talked about my identity. 
And then what I do is once I've underlined those things underneath where I've typed it out, I turn them into I am statements. So I write I am and then what was the identity statement? So for me in this particular word, here's what my I am statements became. I am a fierce warrior born with a sword in my hand. I am impacting those around me. I am assaulting the kingdom of darkness. I am like Ligurtha. Now, I've got to tell you, when I first did that and began to declare those things, I was like, oh, my goodness. Got tickets much on yourself? But we have to remember, we didn't declare these things over ourselves. This is God calling us up into the fullness of our potential. And so I keep these I am statements on my phone. And whenever I'm beginning to doubt myself or feel like I'm unqualified, because the enemy comes night and day, right? I can pull this out and I can say, no, I'm a fierce warrior born with a sword in my hand. I am impacting those around me. I am assaulting the kingdom of darkness. I am like Ligurtha. And I've got words from the last 10 years with I am statements. So there's really simple step number one of how you can apply and war with your words underline identity statements and turn them into I am phrases. And I share this um, with my intercessors because then they can begin to pray and make declarations over my life according to the prophecies previously made about me. And then they're warring effectively on my behalf as well. It's awesome. Here's another one. The second step I do is I pull out promises from the word. So we see in the Bible, and this is going to sound um, a little bit complex, but it's actually simple. So stay with me. And it's important. It's going to change how you process your words. In the Bible, we have absolute promises and conditional promises. Absolute promises are the things God says, I'm going to do. Conditional promises are the ones that require a level of partnership. Let me give you an example of a conditional promise. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So you can hear there that God's making a promise, but there's something we must do to inherit it. Whereas an absolute promise is God just making a declaration of you where he is going to move. Conditional requires our partnership. So what I do is after I've underlined my I am statements or my identity statements, I pull out promises and I turn them into thank you prayers. Let me give you another example of a prophetic word spoken over me. This one was from Dr. Michael Maiden. I see you, Stacey, like the conductor of an orchestra of prophetic people, and you see prophetic talent and awaken it. You are going to see more and more people rising up. It is because it is the right time. Some things haven't happened yet because the time wasn't right, and so now the time is right. So let's start with my I am statements. I am a conductor of prophetic people. I am able to see talent and awaken it. And then I pull the promises out, turn them into thank you phrases and prayers. Thank you for promising that I will see more and more people rising up. Thank you for saying and promising that the time is right. Now imagine if you did that with the prophecies you received, just those two simple steps you started to partner with and declare your identity and you began to to craft thank you prayers around the promises within your prophetic words. That's just two ways you can war with your words, identity and promises. 
You see, the enemy knows that when we lose our identity, we relinquish our authority. But the prophetic is purposed to remind you who you are. The prophetic is purposed to remind you how God sees you. And so that really is going to bring us to the point where we open to question and answers. But I really wanted to give you just some very practical ways today that you partner with the prophecies made about you and wage a good warfare with them. Hope I'm giving you a military strategy. Thanks for joining us today at The Kingdom Community. We trust that you are encouraged as a result of spending time with us. We exist to connect, equip, and send you out into the world to fulfill your destiny and advance the kingdom of God. To learn more about The Kingdom Community, please visit our website, kingdomcommunity.global. Again, our website is kingdomcommunity.global. Together, we are better.